You hear a lot of advice on this show on what you can practically do to become a more effective leader, and yet that advice won't be anywhere as helpful if you don't know exactly what you value and where you're going. On today's show, how to discover your true north with one of America's most seasoned business leaders. This is Coaching for Leaders, episode 225. Produced by Innovate Learning, maximizing human potential. Greetings to you from Orange County, California. This is Coaching for Leaders, and I'm your host, Dave Stahoviak. Leaders aren't born, they're made. And this weekly show will give you access to the best thinkers, resources, and actions to help you develop your leadership skills. And I'm so glad that you've tuned in because one of the great privileges that I get in hosting the show is to be able to connect you with some of the folks out there who are really the most proven leaders, have done some fabulous thinking on leadership, and not only have done thinking about it, but have a tremendous track record of leading organizations and helping make the world a better place through leadership. And today's guest is a wonderful example of that. I'm really pleased to welcome to the show Bill George. Bill is a senior fellow at the Harvard Business School and the former chairman and CEO of Medtronic, the world's leading medical technology company. Under his leadership, Medtronic's market capitalization grew from $1.1 billion to $60 billion, averaging 35% a year. He is the author of four best-selling books, including True North and Authentic Leadership, and his most recent book is titled Discover Your True North, which is what he's here to talk about today. Bill, welcome to Coaching for Leaders. Thank you, Dave. It's good to be with you. Well, I just want to say, first of all, I know a number of people in our audience listen and follow the uh, Harvard Business School publications and Harvard Business Review, and it's just such a wonderful a place for and a wonderful resource for leaders and organizations. So I just wanted to say thanks for for being a part of what Harvard is doing as far as getting great information out there for leaders. And 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 this book is a part of that. And I'm really curious from from where you are and, and you've written several very successful books. Why why this book? What uh, what was the reason you decided to tackle another one? Uh, Dave, I wrote an earlier book, True North, uh, in which we interviewed 125. Uh, leaders we believe to be authentic uh, about their leadership and how they develop themselves. And, uh, but that was uh, a decade ago we did the research. The book itself has done very well, but I thought it was time to go back and see what's happened in leadership in the last decade. And uh, we interviewed 47 more people. Uh, we found out some things stayed the change, but, uh, same, but a lot of them changed. I mean, what stayed the same was people going back to their life stories, who they are, the fact that they have to be authentic leaders has now become accepted as the gold standard for all leaders, and the fact that uh, people need to know who they are. They need to explore their life stories, the most difficult crucibles. So that didn't change. But what has changed is this transition leadership we're going through from hierarchical, bureaucratic organizations to much more participative organizations. We're going from power-based leadership to empowered leaders. And people today are looking for uh, something to commit to, to align around. They're they're operating not in their self-interest, but in the interest of the organization where they feel they can make a difference. They don't want to wait in line for 10 years. This is particularly true of the Gen Xers and the millennials who are now the majority of the workforce. 
and companies that are successful know how to inspire and empower people like this. The ones that are staying in the old bureaucratic mode are really struggling right now. So I'm very excited to see it because it's everything we wrote about in the original book, and we've written a lot of things we've learned since then about how you find your uh, your self-awareness, your, how you build your emotional intelligence, stay true to your values, and particularly how you operate in a, in a global world. I'm really excited about this too. I've uh, had the the belief for years, and as I'm sure you have, Bill, is that you can really lead and influence from a lot of different places in the organization. And we're really starting to see that become even more so reality and part of the culture of organizations of of people being able to lead and influence in a lot of different ways, and not just by um, because of the title or the position on the org chart. And it's a really exciting thing to see that transition. And I'm wondering, as you work with leaders and as you talk with leaders, do you find that there are also leaders who are struggling with that transition? And, and if so, where are the struggles that, that they're running into? Well, I think there are those who uh, feel like the leadership is all about exerting power over others, and they find that people aren't responding to that, and they still operate in the old process or systems mode instead of uh, getting people together collaboratively and working horizontally. So those that still think of an organization in a vertical structure are the ones that are struggling. The ones that realize we're operating in a horizontal world. This is driven by our social media, our new technologies. This is all horizontal communications. We don't communicate vertically anymore. We communicate with friends and, and colleagues and people we know. We're doing so like this interview on a much more informal basis. Yeah. It's not all about uh, formalities. And so uh, I think particularly the older generation of baby boomers are struggling with that because some of them clawed their way to the top and they see themselves now as imposters and they really haven't learned how to lead. Mm. Well, and speaking of learning how to lead, one of the words that I've heard a lot in the last decade, um, I know you have and, and you have used the word a lot in your writing, is that term, the term authenticity. And I think if if I went out and polled our audience on whether or not they've heard that they need to be an authentic leader and that authenticity is important. I think most people would say, yes, I've heard that, or maybe I've even done something to work toward becoming an authentic leader. And yet, I don't know if everyone really has a sense of what authenticity really means and what is it that they're working towards. I'm wondering if you could help us frame what authenticity really means and looks like. Great. I'd love to. Uh, authentic Authenticity is being genuine, being the real you, knowing who you are. The hardest person you'll ever have to lead is yourself. That's because you've got to explore uh, your life story, your crucibles, and find, discover your true north. That's the whole purpose of the new book, is to help people discover their true north. Your true north, Dave, are your most deeply held beliefs, the values you live your life by, and uh, the principles you lead by. And if you have a clear understanding of your beliefs, your values, and your principles, which I think most people do. They just aren't sure it be acceptable in the world. Can I really live like that? Can I be open? Can I be vulnerable? Can I admit my weaknesses? The answer today is yes. Not only yes, but you have to, uh, to be seen as real. No one is perfect. And the idea that you're going to put on a facade or as the cliche goes, fake it to make it, people see through you right away. People know, Dave, within 60 seconds who's authentic and who's not. Hmm. And Today's, particularly younger generation, they're not going to put up with phonies. They're not going to put up with jerks. And uh, they'll, they'll go somewhere else first. I get asked this all the time in the classroom. 
but I can tell you they want to work someplace where they can be real. And a leader who empowers them by bringing out the best in, that's the big change that's taking place in leadership. And by the way, today, everything is open and transparent. And leaders that aren't comfortable with this, they want to hoard information, they want to be very protective, they put the armor on when they come to work, uh, are not making it today, and uh, they'll be uh, moving on soon. Yeah, wow, interesting. And uh, you, you've mentioned something twice now that I noticed you also hit on in the book in a pretty big way, and that's life story. And you say in the book, and I, I wrote down here, your life story defines your leadership, Tell me more about that. What is, how does the life story show up for a leader, and why is that such a key component? Well, let me give you an example. I think I'll illustrate through that. Howard Schultz, who's a founder of Starbucks, uh, grew up in the Bayview Housing Project. Very tough environment. He watched his father lose 30 jobs, and he remembers the time when his father lost his health care. They had no money, and how tough life was, and uh, what a tough place this was. And when Howard's father died, that's when Howard decided, you know, I want to build a company that my father would be proud to work with and that every company, every employee has access to health care. Everyone gets stock in the company. And that's where he created Starbucks. Starbucks now up to, I think, a couple hundred thousand employees, uh, yeah, 200,000 employees. And he has stayed true to that, even as the company's grown all around the world, those basic principles. And so... He would say, you know, I am living out my life story. Mm. And when he's challenged about uh, diversity, which he has been by investors, why are you focusing on opening up opportunities for all these people of different races and religions and, and everyone else? He said, look, I grew up in an environment that was diverse. That's what we are. We want everyone to feel welcome at Starbucks. We don't care if you're Chinese or, or Greek or what you are or what your religion. We want everyone to be welcome here. He's very outspoken on that, to his credit. Because today, younger people are celebrating diversity. They're not tolerating. They see opportunities for growth. So a guy like Howard is living his life story. He says, Starbucks gives me the canvas to paint on. So this is a way of painting his life story across the sky. You know, it's amazing how the company's grown under his leadership. And he's taken heat for it, too. Uh, We've seen a number of examples in the last couple of years where he's said something or done something with the company, and they've, they've taken heat for it. And yet, they've stayed very true to their philosophy uh, and his philosophy of the diversity, the openness, the inclusion that that's, that Starbucks culture is, it's really, it's really exciting to see. Yeah, you know, he got, took a lot of heat last spring for the Race Together campaign. It probably yeah. was implemented too soon, but I don't think anyone would say we don't need to talk about race issues. I mean, look at the Black Lives Matter movement. We need to talk about these things and all the strain in our country. We can't just ignore them. You know, and uh, I, I think the problem is uh, at the highest levels uh, in the media, we're talking past each other and not getting down to real, authentic, genuine conversations. Well, speaking of challenging situations, one of the things that you point out in, in all of your work is that most leaders hit a wall at some point in their careers. And I, I've noticed you've used the analogy of it's almost like a race car hitting the wall of a track. And I'm I'm wondering what do if if most leaders do hit that wall, what do the better leaders and the more effective leaders do when they hit the wall in order to work through that and to work past that and to use that also as an experience to help them to grow? Well, I can tell you my experience of hitting the wall. <laughs> I, life yeah, I'd love to hear your so experience. Fast. 
and you're losing sight of what's really important to you. Back in my uh, 25, 26 years ago, I was at Honeywell. I was on my way to the top. I was one of two candidates to be the next CEO running about 25, 30% of the company. And uh, I'd been embroiled in a series of turnarounds for five years. And frankly, I was going, going, going all the time, traveling 70, 80% of the time. And, but wasn't even, I, I, I real, realized I wanted to be CEO, but I wasn't passionate about the business. And one day I was driving home, and all of a sudden I looked at myself in the rearview mirror. I'm just driving around a little lake near our house. It's about a 10-minute drive, so it's nothing. And I look in the mirror, and I saw a miserable person, me. Now, at the time, my wife, Penny, and I have been married 16, 17 years. We had a very happy family, two great sons going into junior high and high school, great friends. And I'm on route to the top. How can you be miserable? I was miserable because I was losing sight of my true north. We didn't call it that in those days. But I was losing sight of what was really important to me, uh, which was to be a value-centered leader that could help other people and make a difference in the world. Instead, I was chasing for a title called mm. CEO of a big company. And uh, I had to pull back, take a hard look at myself. I shared this with my wife, uh, who, frankly, Dave said to me, you know, Bill, I've been trying to tell you this for a year. You just refuse to listen. Yeah. And I also talked to my men's group about it. And I turned down Medtronic three times for a job. I think the reason, if I'm honest with myself, I turned them down is because it was too small to fit my ego. And I looked at it hard, talked to the founder for three hours one night over dinner, talked to Lynn Wall and the CEO. And I said, you know, this is where I ought to be. Okay, it's a smaller organization. By the way, it's now grown up to be a much larger organization than Honeywell. But at the time, it was quite a bit smaller, but I found a home there and a group of people I could work with and learn from, and we built uh, together a very successful company that's gone from like 4,000 employees to around 80,000. Yeah, I know. It's a, an amazing success story. And I, I'm wondering what happened in that intervening time. It's interesting that you turned it down several times. What happened in the intervening time where you were able to set aside that looking for the position and where you got to a point where you're like, okay, this is, this is, this is where I can really look at an opportunity of how I can help people and help the organization. What shifts did you make? Well, I think, you know, in our forties, oftentimes we've been on a, a rapid regression career wise, but sometimes we do hit the wall and we have to say, is this really what I want to do with my life? I, we have uh, did a seminar at uh, Harvard Business School for 123 people last week, and that's a question they're in their 40s, most of them. And that's a question they're asking themselves. Is this what I want to do with my life? Mm-hmm. And they're coming face-to-face with their own realities, and I think we need to claim the life we want and recognize uh, that leadership is your choice, not your title. The title really doesn't matter. Look, Dave, I, yeah, I have a professor's title, but I haven't, I haven't led anything for 12 years since I left Medtronic, but... I feel like I have a great sense of well-being. I'm making a difference by writing books like this and interacting with leaders of, from people starting out their careers all the way to CEOs and people after they give up being CEOs. So I, I'm mentoring dozens and dozens of people, but uh, that's very fulfilling for me. So I don't really have to have a leadership title anymore. Mm, I, I talked to Simon Sinek uh, recently, a couple weeks ago on the show, mm-hmm. and that was one of the distinctions he made is to find real fulfillment that that only comes from 
giving to others and empowering others and that you you never really find that real fulfillment if you're just thinking about it from your own perspective or what's good for you or your career and uh, I, I love that that your story very much echoes that as well too that's just such a great lesson for all of us as leaders and you know I, I was struck in the book I was looking through of some of the things that you mentioned and some of the key points and you talk about in the book that some leaders lose their way because they are loners. And I love the fact, by the way, that you make the distinction in the book between introverts and loners. And as as someone who's an introvert, I really appreciated that. But I was wondering if you could tell me more, because I really do think that for a lot of people, especially for many of the people that listen to the show, leadership can be really lonely. It can be a very lonely experience. Tell me more about that. Is How do people lose their way and how can we work uh, work to prevent that in a leadership role? Well, first of all, um, there's many introverts who are great leaders as extroverts. So it, leadership doesn't break it down along those skills. And the extroverts are as lonely as the introverts. You're lonely because you kind of make these big decisions. Sometimes you have to go against the grain. It takes courage. Sometimes you have all people pressuring you from outside, like activist shareholders, like uh, the media, like other interested parties that want you to do something different, NGOs. And then you got to run the business and your job is to build a great organization for the long term and to ensure that it's sustainable for the future so that when somebody else takes over, it can continue to sustain itself as Medtronic has. And I think uh, that can be very lonely. And I think the only way to overcome that loneliness is surround yourself with truth tellers and people who care about you and are willing to share with you what's going on and share in those uh, tremendous decisions you make. We all make those at any level. You don't have to be on top. But uh, I think we, we no, no person is an island, as John Dunn said. And I think we need to have people around us that can share in our joys, our sorrows, and counsel us in difficult times. One of the things I stress very heavily in Discover Your True North, the new book, is the importance of having a support team around you. And mine starts with my wife, Penny, who's the best counselor anyone could possibly have, uh, having mentors, people like David Gergen or Dean Nittenori at Harvard Business School are just great to have people you can talk to. One of my mentors died a year and a half ago, Warren Bennis, I was very close to. And I think we also need to have a support group. I've had a men's group now. It's been meeting for 40 years every Wednesday morning for an hour and 15 minutes. And it's been an enormous resource for me and for everyone in the group. So having that team around you that will tell you the truth is uh, invaluable. Well, I, I noticed uh, that in the book, too, of the group you've had for 40-plus years. And I think that that's the kind of thing that almost everyone who hears about that says, wow, I would love to have something like that. And yet so few people really do have that kind of a community. I'm wondering, Bill, what did you do, and you and the other folks who have been involved in that group, that has made it so sustainable and so valuable to the lives of you and, and, and each person who's been a part of it? Well, that's a great question. Uh, the, uh, our, our group has stayed together over this time because every week somebody takes the program and puts the question for the group. So we're talking about very substantive questions like uh, once a time you're really, your courage was tested in your life. Or what do you want, what are the real big goals you have for the next 10 years? Or what are your greatest fears? Or what do you believe about this? Uh, what do you believe happens to you after you die? I mean, these are all the existential questions of life. 
and being able to address those with a group of people that are very honest. And we talk about others' difficulty. One of the guys in my group, his wife, is going through very difficult illness and may or may not survive this. It's a long-term illness. And mm. you know, he has a chance to talk to us about that. Or when I was going through this career change, going from Honeywell to Medtronic, the guys gave me very, very good advice. And we've been together now. There's been no changes in the group for the last 20 years. So we've been together for a long term and we know each other pretty well. I, I can imagine. And how how is it that you and the guys have kept that commitment with each other? What are the things you've all done to make that sustainable where it just didn't last for six months or a year? Because that, that's the kind of thing that it, a lot of times people get started with something and then it's just a short-term thing. Uh, but you've really you've, that's really stood the test of time for you. Well, I confess, I've been the delinquent in the group for the last 12 years because I've been traveling out to... I actually live in Minneapolis and driving out to Boston. I had a condo out there for 10 years to Harvard where I teach. And so I'm often gone on Wednesday mornings. It's the heart of the week. But the commitment of people to be there when they're in town is very, very high. And I'm always there when I'm in town. So we always have six or seven out of the eight people there. And it's that commitment to be there and then to have programs where every week when you're there, you feel nourished, you take something away, and you walk away with a sense of well-being. And that's very important. Where else in life do we get that? Yeah. And yeah. I encourage you to go out and form such a group. We even wrote a book about it called True North Groups. It didn't sell very many copies. You know, how can you form a group and just get together with two or three close friends? And uh, we talk about that and discover your True North as well. And form a group and give it a shot and then build on that. And, but you got to have a fixed time to meet and regular times to get together and requires commitment. You can't just pop in and out. We've just started forming mastermind groups here in the Coaching for Leaders community, Bill, and I saw that you had written a book on groups too, and I'm I'm going to get into that as well because I just I love that idea of what you've done. I just think it's such a really such a inspiring thing for leaders to consider and to do of if they're really working to discover their true north. Well, I think that masterminds groups are great. I'm glad you're doing that. So a lot of different organizations, AA, of course, is the master of forming groups, and they're really professionals at it. So I just wanted to say there are a number of other organizations that are doing this kind of thing and can be very, uh, very fulfilling. Well, and that's one of the things that, you know, you mentioned as far as a strategy of that's how you combat against uh, the loneliness. That's how you uh, get the the feedback and you get the the confidence to continue to move forward. And, and, I, and I think, um, you know, I, I probably know the answer to this question already, but I think one of the challenges that a lot of leaders do have, especially in a small or medium-sized organization where they don't have as many peers, and maybe they're even the, the chief person in the organization, is it's hard sometimes to know if they're on the right track, if they are making the right choices, if they're really committed to the right path for the long term, not just what they need to do this week or this month to hit the numbers. And and I'm wondering, from your perspective, Bill, how how can a leader know if they're on the right track and on that right that right path for the long term? Well, I think you test it uh, against your beliefs. I think it's important to write down your true north and see if you're getting off track. I was getting off track in my Honeywell days, chasing for the brass ring instead of being the person I wanted to be. And then have that sport team around you that, again, will have a coach. Coaches can be extremely valuable. They can help you when you're going off track. So can mentors. And so can a group of peers. But I think you need those people around you to challenge you when you're going off track or have someone to talk to you when you feel like you're off track. 
And I know one of the great places for folks to start is to take a look at the book, Discover Your True North. Uh, For those who aren't familiar with it already, tell us a little bit about what you do in the book that will help people in order to determine that not only where they are, but their path forward. Well, we talk at the outset about uh, how leadership has changed. And then we go into in great depth about uh, how you discover your true north and then what it takes to develop as an authentic leader. You know, being a leader is not something, you're just not born as an authentic leader. You have to work at it. And you have to, leaders, great leaders are made, not born. They have qualities of leadership. Well, we all have those qualities. But the great leaders really work hard to develop their leadership skills. It's no different than my son who's a cancer surgeon in California or being a great cellist or a great athlete. You've got to practice every day. Somebody will think they can show up and lead. They can't. Or somebody will think because they're good managers and budget controllers and financial people that they're, they're good leaders. They're not. You really have to work at it and test yourself in smaller situations before you take on the bigger ones because you'll learn what you do wrong. You'll make mistakes. You'll be, learn to feel comfortable in your skin, comfortable enough to admit your vulnerabilities, which we talk about, and why vulnerability is power, and gain the self-awareness and self-confidence in order to become a good leader. Bill fits right in with the tagline of this show, which is leaders aren't born, they're made. You know, we all have our natural talents that we bring to our roles and things we do well, but the the best leaders out there, and there's so many examples in the book, are really continually working on themselves. They're working on others. They're getting feedback. They've never really arrived. They're on an authentic journey to make themselves more effective to the world and, and, and for their organizations. And I just really appreciate you bringing your perspective today and, and helping give us the inspiration and, and, and even the permission to really move forward and to be our authentic selves and how we show up in our organizations. So thanks a ton for, uh, for your perspective on it. Yeah, thank you, Dave. Thanks for the opportunity to be on the show with you. I love your show and you're absolutely going the right way. Well, thanks, Bill. I appreciate that. Bill George is the author of Discover Your True North. You can uh, check it out online. Bill, thanks again for your time. Thank you. A big thanks to Bill for his time and wisdom. Anytime I get to interview someone like Bill who's got such a great track record in business, and in his case, also education, I'm always curious of what comes up as far as is identified of being really critical to leadership and in, in, in a person's career. And for him, the thing that I really am taking away from this conversation is the importance of community and building community with other leaders. I think you're going to see a lot more of that coming from the Coaching for Leaders platform and from me in 2016 as well. I've been thinking a lot about that and my work with the Mastermind over the last couple of months and getting that started. And I really do think that this is a place where this platform and the people who are part of the Coaching for Leaders community can bring a ton of value to each other. Every single time I get an email from someone, I, I virtually can't think of an exception. I, I just am so grateful to just the kindness and the wisdom and the intelligence of people who reach out to me and reach out to each other in this community and who listen to the show. And I'm just so humbled and grateful for the privilege to be able to get to enter into your professional development just a little bit each week. And I am uh, really excited to be able to do more of that. So watch for more coming in 2016. And and along with that, a big thank you for listening to the show, for making it a part of your professional development, and especially to so many of you who've written reviews on the show, who have passed it along to colleagues and friends and family members, or have made mention of the show as a resource somewhere online. 
I I try to thank those folks whenever I see them, but I know I miss more than I see. And so thank you so much. If uh, if I've never thanked you personally and you've done that, thank you so much. And, and please do uh, drop me a line if ever you'd love to connect. I'd love to connect with you. And this is the last show of 2015, rolling right into 2016 next week with the first Q&A show. I'm going to be uh, taking most of the week off. I'm uh, you know just really grateful to have the opportunity to be able to do that this time of the year. But one thing that I am going to be focused on extensively this week while I'm spending time with family is actually devoting time to going through the five years, five five years, five days to your best year ever course. Five years would be a long time to a best year. It's going to be five days to my best year ever. My five days are going to be this week. And so I'll be tackling that as I know many of you are going to be as well. And if you've been hearing me talk about that over the last uh, few days uh, or a few episodes rather, it is not too late to get involved. Uh, the best thing to do is to check out coachingforleaders.com slash life score. That'll take you to the assessment that Michael Hyatt has put out that will help you frame where you're at in a whole bunch of areas of life going into 2016. And it'll help you to frame exactly where you can focus that will help you to make the most of this new year. And if you download that, you'll get information also about the course, which is available until January 7th, 2016. So you've still got time to get involved with it. We are formally affiliated with the course and supporting it. And so I hope that you will check it out if you're still looking for that framework to get you started in in the new year. And again, that's coachingforleaders.com slash life score will get you there. And normally each week I publish a weekly leadership guide. There's actually not going to be the one this week. I am going to take off one week here for writing, but that'll be coming back again the first Wednesday here in January. But if you'd like to receive those each week, you'll get not only the weekly leadership guide, which comes to your inbox and has recommendations on articles, podcasts, videos, that will support your development between the shows, but it's also always going to include a link to the weekly show notes and the resources that we mention on every episode. And so it'll give you a very easy way to get back to the resources mentioned here and allow you to really benefit from those in the best way possible. And when you join the weekly leadership guide, you'll get instant access to my reader's guide that lists the 10 leadership books that will help you get better results from others. It's a great way to start your reading for the new year. And it also includes the 11-page guide and a nine-minute video on all those recommendations and summaries for me on the value of each of those books. So if that's something that you're looking to get started on for your development in 2016, but also weekly through those leadership guides, go to coachingforleaders.com slash subscribe. And that is the best way to get access to that. And finally, this year, I want to just say a very special thank you to Anton out in Norway for the very kind review you left on iTunes. And you may remember on a recent episode, I thanked someone who had written an iTunes review in Norway, said it was the first one. And then about an hour or two after that came in, Anton had sent me an email and said, I just really appreciate the show. It's great to connect with you. And of course, I thanked him for writing that first review. He emailed me back and said, well, actually, it wasn't me, but uh, but I went ahead and posted one, too. So now we have uh, two reviews up in the Norwegian iTunes store. Anton, thanks so much. And if you need a case study for why people in Norway are cool, there you go. It's right there. Thanks, Anton. And by the way, we have a whole lot of listeners in Norway who download the show each week. So a special greeting to those of you out in 
Norway for being a part of the Coaching for Leaders community. And thank you for your support of the show. And I look forward to being with you each week again here in 2016. Have a great new year. Take care.